Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. I'm Jeff Luddington, the lead pastor at Generations Church. I'm flying solo today, but I couldn't wait to get an episode out to you. And so more to come, brand new series, and I'll tell you about that in this episode. I want to back up and I want to take you through kind of a personal journey for me over the last two and a half years, maybe more. I'm going to say two and a half because I'm going to think through from the pandemic forward. So March 2020, this virus hits the world, obviously, but in America, and we don't know a lot about it. And people are making decisions because we don't know. Hey, we don't know what to do with this. Right or wrong, we can all look backwards over the last two and a half years and have an opinion. But at the time, we all did our best with the information we had. And I remember as a pastor calling my elders and we got on a a FaceTime meeting. I was in an airport and I said, hey, I'll be home at whatever time. And can we get on this meeting? And I want to talk to you guys. What do we do here? And we made this pivot to online. And unfortunately, we had the technology and we had the understanding in order to make that pivot pretty easily. In fact, maybe too easily. Maybe it was too comfortable for us to pivot to an online worship service, right? A, 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 an online gathering, if you will. And what we learned was that it, it really not only filled a need in a pandemic, but it also revealed a lot of struggles within the American church. And, and particularly, I can say this for sure for Generations Church, But as I talk to other churches outside of Generations Family Church, other churches we're connected to, other churches around the country, there's some common struggles. So back to my struggle. I found a lack of connectedness within the Christian church. Those who profess to be followers of Jesus. When I say those who profess to be, I'm saying this is what they say they are. I'm not doubting that. I'm not saying they are, they aren't. I'm saying people who profess to be Christians often struggle to be connected to a church. A few months months into COVID, excuse me, I, I was offered the opportunity to teach at a local Christian high school, to teach Bible to high school seniors. It was uh, kind of an on-the-spot, a short-term thing. Hey, can you do this? Can you fill in for one year? I said, yes. I opened each class and, and I went around this Christian high school, seniors in high school, And it was in the middle of the kind of the highs and lows of the pandemic. And I asked each one of them, each beginning of each semester, so brand new class, I introduced myself and I asked each student, hey, tell me your name. Where do you go to church? If you're you're connected to a church, what do you do there? Do you like go to a youth group? Do you serve there? Are you in worship? What do you do? And what I learned was that more than half of these Christian families were not connected to churches. That was astounding to me. These are the people that invest in their kids' education, private Christian education, right? They want their kids to be raised in the faith, and yet they struggle to be connected to a church. And, and some of that, I thought, was the pandemic, and, and, and some wasn't. But over the last few years, I've begun to wrestle with this idea and, and look at the connectivity in the church, I found a connection between people that would show up for church before and still do. They would come to church and maybe they show up like after church has already started. Maybe they show up a little bit late. You know, they get here, the service has already started, but they're still going to grab a donut, still going to grab a cup of coffee. They're going to come sit down. They may or may not sing or, you know, engage in, in some way. 
They probably don't take notes or they might not even follow along in the Bible. When they're in the service, they show up, but they don't really participate. And so we'll just say they attend, but they really don't engage. And then those folks, I think what I saw or what I learned was it was pretty easy to move from attending but not participating or engaging to an online service where you're still just an observer, but you get to be an observer from home. So now I can observe this service and I can be on my couch or I can be in comfortable clothes or I can have my own coffee maker at home or whatever it might be. And so we've, in the church, in America, we've struggled to see those people return to the church. And so I've asked this question, I've wondered, I've kind of trying to lean into why do so many people that profess to be followers of Jesus not engage in the thing that he told us he was here to make, which was the church? I looked up it, and Pew Research has done study on this, and they said that among those who attend, those who profess to be Christians, who attend just a few times a year, so three to ten times a year, so we're talking like once every other month maybe, Here are the most common reasons they gave on why they don't regularly attend church. Number one, they practice their faith in other ways. Number two was they haven't found a church they like or they don't like the sermons or something. They haven't found a place where they connect. And the third one was they don't have time to go to church. This is people that profess to be followers of Jesus. And this is their their top reasons why they don't go to. And, And the one that probably strikes me the most is they practice their faith in other ways. As followers of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this question. What does Jesus call us to do? Does he call us to create our own way of worshiping? As soon as I say that, here's what I hear in my mind. I go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning, the opening chapters of of Genesis. Creation happens, Sin enters into human history, mars humanity forever. And then we see, we start to read about the second generation of humans. We read about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And the passage in Genesis 4 tells this story, that Cain comes in to worship God and he brings what is convenient for him to bring to worship. But Abel comes and he brings the best of what he has. And the story goes on, God speaks to Cain and says, listen, hey, you're not doing the right thing, right? He can, you know, the, his brother is, but he is not. And what ultimately happens here is Cain is told, you don't get to worship the way you want to worship. You get to worship the way I call you to worship. God creates how we worship. God teaches us, directs us, leads us, guides us in how we worship. Jesus enters into human history, God who becomes flesh for us, And he says, I've come to build the church, and against the church, the gates of hell will never prevail. Here, this is what I'm calling you to be, this community of people doing life together called the church. Now, my assertion today, if you're listening, is that it is fundamentally unbiblical to attempt to live the Christian life apart from regular attendance and participation in the local church, that you cannot faithfully live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus apart from a local church. And that's what I want to, if I can you know, support that or prove that to you today, that's my assertion. Now, how do I get there? What does the scripture say about this? 
And so the New Testament uses different images for the church, just like images of salvation, you're born again, or you're adopted into God's family, whatever it might be. The images of the church are this. I'm going to give you three quick ones. One from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He says this, the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's what he says. Jew and Gentile. So it's like, you know, modern day, black and white, rich or poor, whatever it might be, are members of the same body. And that word body is incredibly important to understanding the church. Paul writes, you're a body, right? And so he uses the human physical body to teach us about the church. So now Paul writes to the church in Rome, this in in Romans 12. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, listen, members of one another. So the human body is Paul's go-to image for explaining to us what the church looks like or what the church is to be. I'll give you another one. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. Now, he's writing to local churches about what it looks like to be a local church. One, uh, many members, one body, he says. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, meaning the local church. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. For the body, the local church, does not consist of one member, but many He goes and he plays this out. If all members were a hand or eyeballs or whatever, what would it be? He says, but as it is, God has created us different to belong to one another. Several verses later, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So Paul says this specifically to the local church in Corinth. When he writes that letter to the church in Corinth, he writes to the church of God in Corinth. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those who are followers of Jesus, right? Called to be saints together. Hey, listen, you're called to something together. With all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, he identifies, hey, listen, there are other churches that we agree on the same gospel, same Jesus, but we are called to be a part of a local body. So Paul writes this way, Jesus writes this way, all the New Testament authors talk to us about being a part of a local church. All the letters that we call New Testament books are letters, functionally, not all, but most are letters written to churches. The book of Revelation is written to seven local churches in Asia Minor, this group of churches in this particular area. And this leading image in the New Testament for the church is a body And over and over again, we're told, hey, listen, you're all a part of one body, meaning a local church. So Generations Family Church, we are one body with many members. We have lots of people, many members, lots of diversity, younger and older, uh, you know, black and white and Asian, Hispanic, all these different things, you know, some that are, you know, well off and some that might be poorer, some that are highly educated, some that are blue collar, whatever. We have this diversity of people, but we are all members of one body. Now, why is that important? Well, we're defined as being members of one another. When Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, listen, though many members, we are one body, right? Individually, he says, we are members of one another. 
Now, Paul says something profound here that you and I, that we belong, if we're in the same local church, we belong to a body. We belong to one another. As he writes to the church in Corinth and he says, hey, you're, you know, there's hands and there's feet, there's different members, but all one body. He's teaching that the diversity is good, that the, that the different giftednesses and the different understanding, that all the different that comes together, the different cultures that mix, the different age groups that mix, the different how long you've been walking with Jesus, kind of re, you know, relationship maturities all mix. The male, female, younger, older, again, whatever, that they all come together. And that together we become a body, like my human body, your human body. The heart does one thing, the mind does another, the veins do another thing, the lungs do something, the fingers, the thumb, all this stuff works together. When I get up to walk, when I sit down, I speak into this microphone, my body is working together all as one. That is the local church. Now we're called to that. And when we don't understand that, when we don't see ourselves in relationship to one another, then we find ourselves isolated. When we don't think we need one another, then we tend to attend church, but maybe not participate in church, or maybe we don't even attend church. And so we go back to this Pew Research poll, and it asks people who don't frequently go to church, hey, why don't you profess to be a follower of Jesus? but you don't regularly go to church. It was this first answer that struck me the most, that people practice their faith in other ways. Again, back to Genesis 4, we don't have that option. We don't get to create our own way of practicing our faith. God has created that for us. In fact, the entire problem in all of human history is sin, that we choose to go our own way. But even in that, we choose to try and create our own way back to God. So I've struggled with this lack of connectivity between Christians and each other, Christians in the local church. And so as I spent time on this throughout the pandemic and and just really praying about it and looking and learning and and struggling personally with it, began to study it. And even when I took some time off this summer, spent a lot of time praying about it. And, And what I walked away from what I walked away from that conversation, or what I walked away from learning about it was that the Bible is filled with commands and directions on how we're to relate with one another, one another in the local church. And that phrase, one another, comes up so many times, Old Testament, New Testament. And there's two kinds of one another's. One I'm going to call descriptive, It just describes, hey, they were talking to one another. It describes who's doing what with whom, right? So not the descriptive one another's, but the directive one another's, the ones that direct us to do something, right? When Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, three one another's, none of them just descriptive, all directive, they're commands. He says, a new commandment I give you. Listen, brand new, a command. It comes with the authority of Jesus himself. 
and he says, you must love one another. He's not talking about loving strangers out in the middle of the street or people in different countries or people that speak other languages and live in other planet, you know, just other places on the planet, right? He's not talking about that. He looks at the disciples and he says, listen, just like I've loved you face to face, life to life, shoulder to shoulder, in real time, I've loved you. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. And then here's how we know it's about the local church too. He says, by this, how you love one another, outsiders, he says, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, see, I can't possibly love one another with people in another country, speak a different language in another place that live nowhere in proximity to me. My job is to love one another right here where Jesus has placed me, right here in my local church. Just as we are to be members of one another, a part of a body, meaning a local church, where we gather together regularly, know one another, do life with one another, we will learn to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. And when we love one another well, and people outside of this see us, they will know we're followers of Jesus by how we love one another in the church. There are almost 50 one another commands in the New Testament. Some are negative, like don't do this, and most are positive. I'm going to take the next year And I want to do a series through these one another's. And I want to look at the things that we are commanded to do with one another. And I want to do this with an intention to say, you cannot possibly live out these words, these commands that Jesus or, you know, the New Testament authors give us so that God calls us to. You can't possibly do that outside the local church. You can't forgive one another with people you don't know. You can't love one another with people that you're not in relationship with. You can't bear with one another in their burdens without people unless you do life with them. And the only reasonable expectation to be able to live this out is within a local body in the church. So we're called to invest, participate, live life in a local church. So with that in mind, I want to go back to a verse I read earlier, Romans 12, for as in one body, we have many members. So one local church, many people that belong to it. Paul says, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Like my hand fits on my arm, my arm connects to my chest that all of it can't work without a brain, without a heart, without lungs, that none of it works without the rest of it. And I think the struggles we see in the modern American church is that we don't know how to work with one another. So we don't live connected. And so like a hand without a body, like a foot without a leg, we have become impotent and incapable of living this journey that Jesus has called us to. So we're not reaching the lost. The church is on decline. We're not living these rich lives in the gospel. We're struggling and white-knuckling life day by day because we're not living it the way God has called us to. 
that he has called us to live out these one another's within the local body to begin to belong to one another. Again, Romans 12, 5, individually, you are members of one another. You belong to one another, Paul tells the church in Rome, that you are members. You're joined together. You can't do it apart. I always kind of jokingly say, listen, I've got all these body parts. I got, you know, 10 fingers and thumbs and all that, you know, it just, and I don't want to give up any of them. Could I live with nine fingers? Sure. But I'm not trying to give up one, right? I want all the body all working together. And that's what I want for our church. That's what I want for any church. I just can only work on that here. I'm a local church pastor in a local body called Generations Family Church. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend time learning how to be members of one another. How do we live out this calling that Jesus has created us to be as followers of his living, as followers of his living this journey together with one another? So stay tuned. Brand new podcast series starting next week. New episodes every Tuesday of the Generations Church podcast. We are going to study the one another's in the New Testament. There are so many rich, deep things that God has called us to in the church that will transform our lives when we begin to learn how to live that, that body life, that local church life. Well, I'm Pastor Jeff Ludington. I'm the lead pastor at Generations Church. I'm a local church guy, and I am excited to dive into Scripture to study these one another's with you. And so if this is for you, subscribe to this podcast, share this with your friends. Stay tuned. New episodes coming every Tuesday in the New Testament, one another's focused on how to live this life in Christ together. 